Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king-size cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A 40-year-old mother is found murdered in the bedroom of her home. The body bears the marks of a savage attack with a knife. The killer showed no mercy. Your job? Get him. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. You'll find that in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality that gives you extra mildness. A much different, much better flavor and aroma. Yes, in king-size Fatima, you get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Fatima. Best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking. Remember, thousands of Americans are switching to Fatima. Insist on Fatima quality. So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Look for the sunny yellow pack. Buy Fatima. Best of all king-size cigarettes. <laughs> The documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, February 18th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out a homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. It was 10.43 a.m. when we got to Woodview High School, the vice principal's office. Good morning, ma'am. 
Yes. Like to see the vice principal, please. Believe her name is Harmon. Miss Harmon. I'm Miss Harmon. What is it you wanted? Police officers, ma'am. Here's our identification. Oh, yes. This is my partner, Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. I see. How do you do? Well, we'd like to talk to one of your girl students, Miss Harmon, uh, Roberta Dixon. Understand she's registered here? Roberta Dixon. Oh, yes. I believe I know her. Would you mind calling her out of class, please? We'd like to talk to her. Well, we generally don't like to do that, officer. Not unless it's absolutely necessary. It's pretty important, ma'am. We've got a message for the girl. I see. Couldn't it wait until after school hours? I'm afraid not, Miss Harmon. It's about the girl's mother. It's pretty serious. Oh, has she been taken ill? Is that it? No, ma'am. She's been murdered. Sixteen-year-old Roberta Dixon, the daughter of the murdered woman, was called out of her classroom and brought downstairs to the office of Miss Harmon, the girl's vice principal. She was a thin, dark-haired girl in sweater and skirt. With the help of Miss Harmon, whom the girl seemed to know fairly well, Ben and I broke the news of her mother's death as gently as we could. At first, the 16-year-old girl seemed to take the shock with some composure, but suddenly she broke down weeping and became hysterical. When she recovered sufficiently, the girl agreed to come downtown with us to answer a few routine questions. Miss Harmon agreed to accompany her. 11.05 a.m., we checked back in at the office. Ben and I completed the 311 dead body report while Miss Harmon and the daughter of the murdered woman waited in the adjoining room. What was that time discovered, Joe? You got a note on it there? Yeah, let me look. Uh, 8.55 a.m. Oh, thanks. Hi, Joe. How are you? Oh, hi, George. How you doing? I can't complain. Got some checking out to do. I wonder if you'd help me. Well, I want to give it a try. Ben, you know George DeCoven, don't you? Reporter from the Daily News. Oh, yeah, sure. Sam around. Hi. Say, I understand you two are working on that knife murder out on Pico, the dead woman they found this morning? Yeah, that's right. A few things I'd like to check with you before I do the story. The victim's name was Florence Eleanor Dixon, that right? That's right, George, yeah. A couple more things here. Stop me if I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. The victim was 40 years old, divorced one child, daughter 16. Body was discovered 9 o'clock this morning by a next-door neighbor. Mm-hmm. You see, the neighbor's name is Esther Fenwick. Right? No, I think the name's Fenmore, George. Oh, thanks. F-E-N-M-O-R-E. Um, I understand you haven't got much to go on. No murder weapons, no other leads. No, not much of anything so far. We just started on this thing. How about the husband of the dead woman? You get anything there? Well, he divorced Mrs. Dixon two years ago. There's no line on him yet. We're still checking him out. We might have some word later on the day for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other possible suspects in mind, or do you want to say? No, I don't think so. It's still wide open. How about a motive? That been established yet? Could have been one of a dozen things. We're going to have to do some digging before we can say definitely. It doesn't look like it was a robbery motive. Well, that's about all we can tell you for sure, George. Mm-hmm. See, I was over at the morgue when they brought the body in. It's the worst I've seen in a long time. Brutal. Uh-huh. It's pretty bad. I suppose there's nothing from the crime lab yet. No. I think they just got back from the house a few minutes ago. If you want to drop by later on this afternoon, we might have something new for you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Oh, say, I saw you bringing the girl in a few minutes ago, the victim's daughter. I'd like to get a couple of pictures of her. Well, how about making a little later, huh, George? Kid's still upset. Pretty much of a shock for you, you understand. Okay, I'll be waiting out in the hall with a photographer. Okay. You give me a call, huh? Just a couple of shots. It won't take a minute. You betcha, George. We'll call you. Okay. You about finished with that report, Ben? Yeah, all done. I guess we better talk to the girl, huh? Yeah, all right. The morgue say when they're going to post the body? Sometime today. We ought to have the results first thing tomorrow morning. Miss Harmon? I think she's a lot better now, Sergeant. Roberta, the officers would like to talk to you a few minutes if you feel up to it. All right. Who killed my mother? Have you found out? Not yet, Roberta. We think you might be able to help us, though. It's so hard to believe. I just saw her this morning. She was all right then. Well, you try to take it easy, Roberta. We'll make it as brief as possible. 
Are you and your mother the only people living at your house, no one else? No, me and my mother, that's all. My father used to live with us. He doesn't anymore. How long has it been since your father left? I'm not sure. About five years, I think. He and Mama didn't get along. They got divorced. Mm-hmm. Do you see your father at all anymore? I mean, does he ever come to your house to visit? He did once. It was about a year ago, I think. It wasn't much good. He and my mother argued all the time he was there, and he left. He hasn't been back since. Has he been in contact at all with your mother? Do you know? Does he write her letters, call her on the phone? No. The last time was when he came to her house. I haven't heard anything about him since. I don't even know where he is. I don't care, I guess. I hardly even knew him. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have you think about this carefully now, Roberta. Did your mother have any close friends who used to come to the house quite a bit? Yes, two or three women friends of hers at work. Any men friends? No. Mom didn't have any men friends. She didn't like men. She said they were all no good. She used to tell me that all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any relatives we can contact? I don't know about my father's side. My mother has a brother and sister in West Virginia. She dresses at home. <laughs> What am I going to do? Why would anybody kill my mother? All right, now, you try to take it easy, Robert. Everything's going to work out all right. <laughs> Look, now, do you think you can give us a list of most of the people your mother knew, friends around the neighborhood, the people she knew at her work? Yes, I think so. Most of them are in her address book. I think I know where it is. All right, fine. Um, just before you left for school this morning, Roberta, was there anyone in the house besides you and your mother? No, just the two of us. Was your mother expecting anyone? Not that I know of. Your mother was all right, was she? There didn't seem to be anything bothering her? No. She acted all right to me, just like any other morning. We got up at quarter to seven. I got dressed. Mama took a shower. I fixed breakfast. We ate, and then I left for school. About what time was that, Roberta? A little before 8.30, usual time. I have my first class at 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. When I left Mama, she was just finishing her breakfast. I said goodbye. When was the last time I saw her? Can we talk after a while, please? Maybe I'll feel better. Can't talk now. Oh, sure, that's all right. Would you like to rest here? I don't know why I'm crying. Stupid. I don't care anyway. No reason to cry. You better get some rest, youngster. No reason. It doesn't make sense crying about Mama. How's that? I'm not sorry. I'm glad she's dead. Early that afternoon, after she'd rested sufficiently and recovered herself, we had another interview with Roberta Dixon, the teenage daughter of the murdered woman. Miss Harmon, the vice principal, went back to the school, and a policewoman was called in to be present during the interrogation. Again, she insisted that she wasn't at all sorry that her mother was dead. She said that privately she didn't have any love for either one of her parents, least of all her mother. She told the usual story of a broken home, a father who showed little interest in his daughter or providing a good home for her, a strict, overbearing mother who apparently made no effort to understand the girl. We continued to interview Roberta Dixon, but outside of what she'd already told us, she showed no further knowledge of the murder. Pending action by the court, we had the girl placed in the custody of the juvenile authorities. 3.10 p.m., Ben and I drove back to the murder house on South Pico Boulevard, where we met police reporter George DeCoven. Together with Brian and Ortiz, we continued our preliminary investigation. We rechecked the immediate area of the Dixon home and talked again with the neighbors. We failed to come up with anything new. 4.25 p.m., along with the reporter, George DeCoven, Ben and I went back to the murder house. Well? I don't know. It doesn't seem to jive that time of morning. It's possible, though. What's that, Joy? Prowler. Might have been it. You think so? No, we've already run that down. Yeah. We checked communications. There's no recent complaints about anybody prowling the neighborhood. We talked to the neighbors, too. No indication of it. 
No sign anybody tried to break in here, either. Hmm. Got me. I can't figure. And Dick's moment sure kept to herself. Lived here 11 years, and we can't dig up more than half a dozen neighbors who really knew her. Yeah, business with her daughter, too. It sure stacks up pretty strange. Didn't the crime lab crew find anything this morning, Jeff? No, nothing great. A jacket, a pair of shoes, a few stains on them. Took them in to run a benzidine test. That's about the size of it. Sure, a slow start. Yeah. I expect a little more from the neighbors. So do I. You know, it would be different if the thing happened in the middle of the night. According to the daughter, it must have happened at least after 8.30 this morning. Now, if the killer got in the house after that, you'd think somebody on the block would have noticed it. Neighbors close by on either side. How about checking out in the yard and back? I didn't get too good a look around this morning. Well, there's nothing more to cover in here. Crime lab's been all over. Yeah, how about where this Mrs. Dixon worked, Joe? Anybody tag base there? Yeah, Tommy Bryan did. Hotel down on South Grand. She worked in the linen room. A couple of people she knew there, they couldn't tell him anything. How about some of her other friends? No, nothing yet. We're still checking. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, it's a big backyard. Kept it nice, didn't they? You want to check alongside here, Ben, with the house? I'll give the back of the yard a look, huh? Yeah, okay. Well, Good-sized garage, huh? Pretty hard to find them like that anymore. Pretty good-sized lot, too. She sure must have worked at keeping it up. There's not a weed on the place, is there? Yeah. More you can say for the neighbors. Have a look, George, down here. Huh? Flower bed here. Two little mounds of dirt. You see them? Oh, yeah. The ground looks like it's been recently turned, wouldn't you say? Fairly recent. I wonder what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. Oh, small wooden crosses pressed down in each one of the mounds. Queer one, huh? Looks like a couple of small graves, doesn't it? You want to reach me that stick over there, George? Oh, yeah. Here you go. Thank you. Have a look here. Nice. Nothing on my end. How are you doing? What's this? Oh, we're not sure ourselves. Wait a minute. Uh-huh. What is it? Wait a minute. Yeah, all right. There you are. A bird. A little canary. How about that? Hasn't been buried long. Look here. Look at the breast. What do you think, a knife? Could be. Sharp instrument of some kind. Just a minute. I'm going to try this other mound here. Wait a minute, Joe. Yeah. It's another one. Yellow canary, same thing. Look at the breast. Neither one's been buried for more than a few days. Funny one. The Dixons raise canaries, you know? I don't know. I don't think so. It sure doesn't make any sense to me. They didn't want the birds. You'd think they'd give them away. Why go slaughter them like this? Yeah, well, it works both ways. Deep wounds in the chest. Some kind of sharp weapon. Yeah. The Dixon woman. She died the same way. 4.35 p.m. We took the two canaries, wrapped them in paper, and brought them downtown to Lieutenant Lee Jones at the crime lab to be processed. He was still running tests on the stained jacket and pair of shoes which had been found in the house among the dead woman's personal effects. 5.15 p.m. We checked with the office, and then we drove over to Juvenile Hall to see Roberta Dixon. Apparently, she was in a much better frame of mind. I talked to Miss Harmon this afternoon, our vice principal. She wants me to come and stay with her for a while. Hope she can arrange it. It sure be nice. Mm-hmm. We were back at your house this afternoon, Roberta. We found something we'd like to ask you about. What's that? Well, do you keep any pets in your house? I mean, either you or your mother? Well, no, not usually. Why? 
Now, how do you mean not usually? Well, we didn't up until a week ago. Mama didn't like animals. She didn't want them around. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I got these two canaries. I bought them with my own money. I work after school, you know. I see. I bought a cage for them, too. My mother was mad when I brought them home. She didn't like any kind of animals. She kept preaching at me. She finally made me get rid of them. How'd you do that, Roberta? I got a knife and I killed them. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. You'll find that in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality that gives you extra mildness. A much different, much better flavor and aroma. Yes, in king-size Fatima, you get all the advantages of extra length, plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking. Remember, thousands of Americans are switching to Fatima. Insist on Fatima quality. So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Look for the sunny yellow pack. Buy Fatima. Best of all king-size cigarettes. Remember, thousands and thousands of Americans are switching to king-size Fatima. Insisting on Fatima quality. So compare Fatima yourself. When you see the difference, taste the difference, smoke that difference, you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Look for the sunny yellow pack. Buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. February 18th, the Dixon girl was released to the custody of Miss Harmon pending action by the juvenile court, 9 p.m. Ben and I double-checked with Lieutenant Lee Jones at the crime lab. He showed us the school jacket and a pair of shoes which had been found in a closet in the home of the murdered woman, Mrs. Florence Dixon. Apparently, the clothing belonged to the daughter, Roberta. There were several dark stains on each of the articles. They'd been checked thoroughly. First, a benzidine test to determine if they were blood stains, then a biological precipitant test to classify them further. There wasn't any doubt in Lee's mind that the stains were recent, but they were made by human blood, the same blood type as that of the murdered woman. It was a little hard to believe, but the evidence on hand pointed to only one prime suspect, 16-year-old Roberta Dixon. Early the following morning, we checked back in at the office. Ben went across the street to see if the coroner's autopsy report was ready. 8.05 a.m., I checked by communications. They had a report on the tracer we'd gotten out on the murder victim's husband, a Charles Dixon. I picked it up and headed back to the office. Morning, Joe. Oh, hi, George. You get the message I left for you? I put it on your desk over in the press room. Yeah, I got it, thanks. How's it look this morning? Anything new? Well, this here, an answer on that tracer we got out on Mrs. Dixon's husband. He's been living up north for the past year, San Francisco. That's so? Still up there? No, not according to this. He died six months ago, a heart attack. Hmm. What do you figure? Well, there's not much choice. Joe, oh, hi, Joe. Hi. Autopsy report. Coroner just got it out. What's the word? It doesn't jive with the story we got. The coroner places a time of death close to 7.30 a.m. yesterday. Mm -hmm. Cause of death, what we figure, chest wounds. Some kind of a sharp weapon. There's something else. Mm -hmm. According to the girl, she had breakfast with her mother before she left for school. Coroner says Miss Dixon hadn't eaten for at least 12 hours before she died. What was that time of death, Ben? 7.30 a.m., no later. Hmm. Well, I guess we better move on. Huh? Yeah. What's the angle? Well, the daughter, she says she didn't leave the house until 
Along with the policewoman, Ben and I drove out to the home of the high school vice principal, Miss Harmon, where the suspect, Roberta Dixon, was staying. There was no one there. We checked at the high school. Miss Harmon told us that she'd brought Roberta to school that morning. She thought that if the girl attended classes, it'd help keep her mind off her troubles. Miss Harmon checked the classroom the Dixon girl was supposed to be in, but she wasn't there. Her teachers were contacted. None of them had seen her that morning. 9.40 a.m., we drove over to the Dixon home. We found Roberta in the back bedroom. She was sitting calmly at a sewing machine, stitching ruffles on a dress. In one corner of the room, there was an empty birdcage. I'm pretty busy right now. I've got this sewing to do. What do you want to talk to me about? We've got a few more questions for you, Roberta. It's about your mother. She's dead, isn't she? Do we have to talk about it? Yeah, I'm afraid we do. Why do we? Just told me she was dead. There's no sense in talking about dead people. Anyway, I've got this sewing to do. I have to get it finished. There. Isn't that pretty? These ruffles go all the way around the bottom of the skirt. Here, like this. Beautiful color, brown. You like it? You want to tell us what happened, Roberta, yesterday morning? Yesterday? I already told you, didn't I? We don't think you were telling the truth. You want to go over it again for us? Well, I've got this sewing to do. You can see that, can't you? Three more rows of ruffles go on. Right here. I have to get it finished. It takes time, you know. I think you better let the sewing go, Roberta. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. I have to get it finished. Well, I'm afraid this is a little more important. I think you realize that. I went over the whole thing for you already. I told you everything. Wasn't the truth. You know that, Roberta. Why do you say that? Was it the truth? What do you expect me to say? That's up to you. You think I lied, don't you? That's stupid. I haven't got any reason to lie. Did you kill her, Roberta? What? Did you kill your mother? I told you everything already. That's just the way it was. Mama and I got up and had breakfast and I went to school. That's all. I don't have any reason to lie. Oh, excuse me. Hello? Oh, hi, Fran. Yeah, I'm working on it now. It's going to be beautiful. What? Oh, no, that's all right, sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, can you call me back later? Yeah, I'll be here. Okay, honey, bye. I'm sorry, officers. My girlfriend, Fran. Mm-hmm. She's a good friend of mine. She can vouch for me. She'll tell you I'm not a liar. Do you own a pair of brown and white saddle oxfords, Roberta? No, why? How about a school jacket? Green plaid? No. I don't like green. Brown's my favorite color. The green plaid jacket was found in the house here. It was stuffed back in the hall closet. It had your name stenciled on it. Oh, yeah. That old thing. I don't even wear it anymore. Look at that. Won't it be pretty when I get it finished? That jacket of yours, Roberta, they found blood stains on it. On the shoes, too. Roberta? I already told you, the shoes aren't mine. The jacket is. Why do you keep calling me a liar? Can't you believe me for once? Isn't it bad enough the way things are? Now, the last time we talked to you, you said you left the house at 8.30 yesterday morning. Is that right? Yes, it was around 8.30. Well, we got the report on your mother this morning, Roberta. The coroner says she died at 7.30. No later. That's stupid. How could he tell anyway? He can tell. He's a liar. Something else, Roberta. You told us you and your mother got up and you had breakfast together. Yeah, we had breakfast together. Why are you picking on me? You couldn't have had breakfast together. The time she died, your mother hadn't eaten anything for 12 hours. I guess you're going to say they can tell that, too. That's right. You want to tell us what really happened now? 
Now tell us the truth, Roberta. It's going to work out a lot easier. These are some of the toys I had when I was little. I saved almost all of them. My best doll. I had a lot of dolls. I loved them. Guess I still do. I love them more than her. You mean your mother? I wasn't fooling. I don't care if she's dead. She didn't mean anything to me. She never did mean anything. These are more of my dolls here. I dressed them all myself, every one of them. What was the matter, Roberta, between you and your mother, I mean? I don't know. I guess she just didn't mean anything. Not like anybody else's mother. She didn't mean anything at all. Same as my father. We were in the same house, that's all. Nobody cared for anybody else. It wasn't anything but fighting, fighting, or just not saying anything at all. I'm glad she's dead. You killed her? Is that what you want to say? Here's a little piano I had. I got one Christmas, I think. Look, still plays. You want to tell us from the beginning? took a long time. I thought about it a lot. A week ago, I made up my mind. It's time to kill her. She was getting worse. I couldn't do anything. I was always wrong. Couldn't go out, couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. She started the same way yesterday morning. I got the knife from the kitchen... I went in and she was sitting on the bed, putting her stockings on. I don't think she knew what happened. Didn't take long. Were you having an argument with her? Is that what started? We argued every morning. I got so tired of it. She had an awful voice. Finally made up my mind. Planned it all out. I even practiced it. You know the two canaries I had? Yeah. I didn't buy them because I wanted them. They got to be cute, though. I felt bad about killing them. Why'd you kill them, Roberta? Practice. Decided to use a knife. I wasn't sure I knew how to do it, though, so I got the canaries. One day after school, I killed them. Gave me more confidence. I knew I could do it after that. Poor little things. I guess I shouldn't have killed them. What knife you killed your mother with, Roberta? You want to show us where it is? All right, I'll show you. I don't think you ever could have found it. It's up in the attic. Special place I hide things. Say, would you like some coffee or coke or something? No, no, thanks. One more thing. Why'd you leave school this morning? I mean, going off without telling anybody. I wanted to come back here. I felt like it. I wanted to come back to my room. It's the only place I really like to be. I've lived in this house all my life. And this has always been my room. Toys I had. My dolls. Everything's here. Everything I have. 
My books. All my dolls. Yeah. I think we'd better be going, Roberta. We'll have to take you downtown. Yes, all right. I'll get my coat. Then I'll show you where the knife is. All right. Officers, could I ask you one favor? What's that? It probably sounds silly. It'll help a lot, though. This doll here? Yeah. Could I take it with me? Just this one? Make me feel a lot better. Please, do you think I could? Yeah, sure. Bring it along if you like. Thank you. You probably think I don't care for anything but my dolls. There's one thing, though, I want to tell you. What's that? I'm sorry now. I really am. I shouldn't have done it. I know it was wrong. You do? Yes, I'm sorry I killed the canaries. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On May 6th, the hearing was held in Juvenile Court, Department 38, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that hearing. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, I'd like to take just a moment this evening to tell you about Fatima's Christmas gift carton. When you visit your dealer, take a real good look at it. I think you'll agree with me that it's the smartest of all Christmas cartons, just as it should be, because Fatima is the best of all king-size cigarettes. This Christmas season, I'm buying Fatimas for all my friends, and I hope you will, too. Compare Fatima. See the difference. Taste the difference, and then smoke that difference. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. At the hearing in juvenile court, Roberta Evelyn Dixon was found unfit to be handled as a juvenile and was certified to superior court as an adult. There, she was found to be criminally insane by three psychiatrists appointed by the state. She is now confined to a state mental institution where she is undergoing treatment. You have just heard Dragnet. A series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Martin Yarborough is Sergeant Ben Romero. Also heard was Joyce McCluskey. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king-size cigarettes has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Counter-Spy fights international intrigue next on NBC. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes. Best of all, king-size cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A 22-year-old girl has been abducted. Her family receives an anonymous message. The abductor demands $30,000 for the safe return of the girl. Your job? Get him. See the difference. Taste the difference. Smoke the difference. You'll find that in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality that gives you extra mildness. A much different, much better flavor and aroma. Yes, in king-size Fatima, you get all the advantages of extra length plus Fatima quality, which no other king-size cigarette has. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarettes you're now smoking. Remember, thousands of Americans are switching to Fatima, insisting on Fatima quality. So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Look for the bright, sunny yellow patch. Buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, October 18th. It was cloudy in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the stats office, and it was 3.26 a.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Brian. Hi. Got those mug shots you wanted, Joe. Here you go. Oh, thank you. The captain leave yet? They're waiting for me in the garage. You call back? I'm going to right now, yeah. Okay. I guess I better hustle it. See you out there, huh? Right, Brian. I'm sorry to wake you, Ben. This is Joe. How you feeling? Oh. oh hi, Joe. What time is it? 3.30 a.m. How's a sore throat? Oh, it's not better. I ought to be back to work tomorrow. Well, we need you now, Ben. You want to be ready in about 20 minutes? I'll pick you up. 20 minutes? Okay. What's the matter? man by the name of Martin Sullivan, official down at the Third National Bank. Hey, what about it? He's got a 22-year-old daughter, or he had one. Huh? She's gone. Less than 14 hours before, at 1 o'clock the previous afternoon, Judith Sullivan was last seen driving off in a car with a man who'd represented himself as a friend of her father's. At 11 o'clock that night, the Sullivan family received an anonymous letter demanding $30,000 for the safe return of the girl. It had been the only contact made thus far by the abductor. 
As soon as we got word of what had happened from the girl's father, a broadcast and an APB had been gotten out. The entire force throughout the city had been alerted. 3.44 a.m., I pulled up in front of Ben's house. Well, good morning. Hi. You made good time. Hey, where are we headed? The Sullivan home out on Castro Boulevard. Tad Brown's out there now with Brian. Any leads to go on? No, not so far. The girl disappeared a little before 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Note from the abductor came through last night. They're asking 30000 oh, I don't get it. Sullivan hasn't got that kind of money. Yeah, I know that. Poor guy's almost out of his mind. Mrs. Sullivan, too, they're all broken up. You fill me in. How'd it happen? Well, the girl was taken from a business school that she goes to. Man had her called out of class. He told her her father was sick. Said he was a friend of the family. How about the teachers? What was their story? Well, they said the girl didn't want to go with the man at first, but he finally talked her into it, kept telling her her father was dying. Yeah, lousy thing. Did he use a car? Yeah, blue sedan. That's all we know. Witnesses didn't get the make or the license number. Any description on the man? Yeah, they say about 5 feet 9, 160, brown suit and dark hair. Is that all? That's it. Here's a copy of the letter that the Sullivan's got. You can read it. It's the usual. All right, thanks. I have your daughter, Judy, get $30,000 quick if you want her back alive. Don't call police or I'll kill her. Contact you later, sign the wolf. Who's he kidding? I don't know. I could think of a better name. Here we are. Who's got the original note, Joe? The crime lab. They're checking it for prints and handwriting. Mm. Hi, Joe Romero. In the living room. Thank you, Tom. That's the way I see it, Mr. Sullivan. You understand exactly what you have to do now? Yes, I'll do as you say. All right, sir. Here are the two men who will help you. Sergeant Friday and Romero, Central Homicide. All right, Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Brown, are you sure about all this? I keep thinking he might get frightened. He might do something to her. Believe me, Mr. Sullivan, it's the only way. I know how you must feel, but we can't do anything else. All right. I want to see Mrs. Sullivan first. Will you excuse me? I'll be ready in a moment. All right, fine. What is it, Chief? Any development? Back here, in the dining room. Mm -hmm. Yeah? That's it on the table. Second note from the guy. When did it come? Half an hour ago. Guy had it delivered by a special messenger. Used a plain envelope. Messenger kid didn't know anything about it. Doesn't remember what the guy looked like. Let's take you. Yeah, all right, says, meet me in Elysian Park, 5 o'clock this morning, near Balkan Drive. Come alone, bring 30,000, will return girl. Don't tell the cops. I'll kill her if you do. It's the same signature, Wolf. Hmm. Not much time, Chief. It's 4 a.m. now. I know. What we'll have to do as he says. There's no other way. Sullivan's going out there alone, is he? You're going with him, you and Romero. You'll be hidden in the trunk of his car. All right. Anything else? Any plan you want us to follow? Get him, that's all. <laughs> 4.15 a.m., Ben and I went out back to the garage where Mr. Sullivan's car was parked. We jammed ourselves into the trunk compartment and Brian closed the door on us. The latch was rigged so that we could push open the door from the inside. A few minutes later, Mr. Sullivan came out, got in the car, and we drove off. At three minutes to five, we pulled up at the designated meeting place up in Elysian Park. We waited. Nothing happened. Five minutes past 5 a.m., still nothing. Outside, it started to thunder. Rain's starting, man. Windy. 
Joe. Right here? Yeah. The car coming up the road toward us, sounds like. Yeah. Wait a minute. Coming over this way. Yeah, sounds that way, doesn't it? Are you ready? Right. All right, easy. Coming back here. Watch it now. Is that you? Yeah, come on up. Meeting's off. Look, look, let him break. Yeah. 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 Mr. Sullivan, you want to drive back home? We'll contact you there. Yes, sir. All right. Come on. Let's get over the car. Yeah. What's the story? Did he scare off? The guy had no intention of following through with the meeting. How come? He told us he phoned a couple of minutes before 5 a.m. We tried to trace the call. He wouldn't stay on the line long enough. But what do you have to say? A couple of things. Number one, he wants more money. Number two, he knows we're working the case. What was the reaction? Claims he doesn't care. We'll never get him anyway. Well, how's the thing stand now? $50,000. He wants it in the next 12 hours. More than 16 hours had passed since word of Judy Sullivan's abduction had been phoned into homicide. During that time, an APB containing the descriptions of the suspect, his car, and his victim had been dispatched to law enforcement agencies throughout the entire area. The same descriptions were being broadcast every hour. The Sullivan home had been placed under strict surveillance, and Mr. Sullivan instructed not to contact the suspect without the knowledge of the police. The girl's father had raised almost $10,000 in cash to buy him off, and the serial numbers on each one of the bills had been copied by a police stenographer and rechecked by a homicide officer. So far, the wolf, as he called himself, had made three separate contacts, but he'd covered his tracks well. We knew he was somewhere in the city, 450 square miles of it. We knew we had to find him. 6.18 a.m., we checked back into homicide. What's he doing, bro? Here's a copy of the letter, fellas. Special delivery came in about 25 minutes ago. Let's see, Tom. Hmm? The same handwriting, it looks like. Check the postmark, Joe. Must have mailed it right after he grabbed the girl. Yeah, let me see. Stay away from Sullivan. If the girl's found dead, it's your fault. Stay away. Wolf. Can't seem to make up his mind, huh? Uh, are they checking the original of this for prints, Tom? Yeah, no word yet. How about that second note? Anything on that? Uh-huh. Stahl lifted a couple of prints, running them through R&I. So who's watching Sullivan House now? Gomez and Thaxter. Chief's out there, too. He's still afraid the girl's father will try to make a deal with the guy. He tried again? No, not yet. Well, you couldn't blame him if he did. He's worried sick. Huh, guy? Uh, homicide, Romero. Yeah, I try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you spell it? Okay, right. Yeah, thanks a lot. Record Bureau. Those two prints stall lifted from the letter. Run them through the single print file. Any luck? They gotta make. <laughs> fingerprint that was lifted from the suspect's letter was identified as belonging to a Donald Alfred Kiefer, WMA, age 29, 5 feet 8 inches, 170 pounds, brown eyes, dark brown hair. He had one previous arrest for forgery in Los Angeles 10 months before. At the time of his arrest, Kiefer's occupation was listed as bank clerk at the Third National Bank. Well, I went down the hall to the record bureau to pull the crime report. Brian checked by latent prints to see if they'd gotten anything off the last note from the suspect. Ben went to check with Don Meyer in handwriting. 7.23 a.m. Chief Thad Brown got back to the office. I showed him Keeper's crime report. 
All right, what's the rundown on it? Well, at the time Kiefer pulled the forgery job at the bank, Mr. Sullivan was one of the vice presidents. He was the one that preferred charges against Kiefer, and he saw that he was prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Where's this Kiefer now? Well, let me check that. He was placed on probation on May 16th this year. He returned to his home in Omaha, Nebraska. That's 1380 Mackinac Avenue. You call Omaha? I got the call in now. Ben took an exemplar of Kiefer's handwriting from the package. Don Meyer's going over it now. Keith? Hi. What about that last note? I've got the report right here. How's it look? Well, Stahl lifted some prints off it, brought them out with the iodine fume gun. They match with the first. There's something else. What's that? They examined the paper for watermarks and texture. Both notes are written on the same paper. Impressions show both pieces of paper from the same tablet. Mm-hmm. Check the density of the carbon and the pencil he used. Both specimens match same pencil. Joe. Oh, hi, Skipper. Hi. Did you catch up with Don Meyer, Ben? Yeah, he went over the handwriting. Looks pretty good. What's the word? It's as close as you can get. Here are the two exemplars. Mm-hmm. Francis crosses. Double loops is L. Open A's. Pressure on the downstroke. Uh-huh. Donald Kiefer, the wolf. Same handwriting. <laughs> By noontime, Donald Kiefer's description had been broadcast throughout the entire area. Bulletins were dispatched to all departments and a supplementary APB was gotten out. Special details were stationed at every post office in the city to watch for notes from the suspect that might come through the mail. The bus depots, railroad terminals, the airports, and all main roads leading out of the city were kept under strict surveillance. The entire Los Angeles area was broken down into single square mile districts and a house-to-house canvas was started. A squad of men were assigned to cover each square mile. Outlying towns and cities were requested to do the same. By 4 o'clock that afternoon, one of the greatest dragnet operations in the history of the city was underway. We were sure Donald Keeper was somewhere inside. 5.12 p.m., we got the call back from the Omaha police. That's so? Mm-hmm. Again, please, what was that? 6-X-ray, 419, Nebraska Plate. Right. Fine, Lieutenant, thank you. Bye. They made the car? That and a lot more. The Omaha cops are looking for Keeper, too. They want him for a robbery there two months ago. Uh-huh. He used a stolen blue sedan in the robbery. 1939 model, Nebraska Plate 6 X-ray 419. What about his family and friends? Have they been checked? Yeah, they say Keeper left Omaha about six weeks ago. I don't know where he was headed. We better get that car description of communications, huh? APB and a radiogram? Yeah, right. Friday, Romero? Yeah. What are you tied up with? Just got a call back from Omaha. Make on Kiefer in the car. Give it to me. You two get out to Sullivan House as fast as you can. See Harris out there. Okay, what happened? Mr. Sullivan, has disappeared. You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action. Millions heard it. Yet, only 54 have written. Starting on Dragnet over two and a half months ago, on September 20th to be exact, Fatima made a special money-back offer to more than 10 million listeners. The results? Amazing. Millions heard it. Yet, only 54 have written. If you smoke king-size cigarettes, listen to Fatima's famous offer. Buy a pack of Fatimas. Enjoy their extra mildness and superbly blended tobaccos. If you're not convinced Fatima is better than the king-size cigarette you're now smoking, just return the pack and the unsmoked Fatimas before January 1st, and we'll give you your money back plus postage. Fatima, Box 37, New York 1. Remember, thousands and thousands of Americans are switching to king-size Fatima. 
insisting on Fatima quality. So compare Fatima yourself. When you see the difference, taste the difference, smoke that difference, you'll switch to Fatima. Because in Fatima, the difference is quality. Look for the bright, sunny yellow pack. Buy Fatima. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. Wednesday, October 19th, 5.48 p.m. Ben and I drove out to the Sullivan home where we checked with Bert Harris, the man who'd been assigned to watch Mr. Sullivan. He told us that at about 3 o'clock that afternoon, the father of the missing girl had a phone call. He said he had to go down to the bank, and Harris went with him. While they were at the bank, Mr. Sullivan succeeded in decoying Harris with a fake telephone call. While Harris was answering the call, Sullivan disappeared. Did Mr. Sullivan get any more money while he was at the bank, Bert? Yeah, $5,000. Did you get the serial numbers off the bills? Uh-huh. I shouldn't have let him get out of my sight. Yeah, forget it. Right now, we've got to find out where he's going to meet Kiefer. Did you talk to Mrs. Sullivan about it, Bert? Yeah, she said she doesn't know anything about it. Where's she now? Back in the sitting room, lying down. Well, let's try her again, huh? She might be able to help. Okay, it's back this way. Mm-hmm. What time you got, Joe? It's five minutes past six. I get it. Hello. How's that? Yeah, where are you? What? Oh, where are you? Where are you? All right, we'll be right out. Yeah? Mr. Sullivan, he met with Kiefer out in Laurel Canyon. Did he get his daughter back? Yeah, he did. Wrapped in newspaper. All units in the area were notified immediately that a contact had been made with the suspect, Donald Kiefer. We got in the car and we drove out to Laurel Canyon. The entire area had been blocked off. We found Martin Sullivan standing in the middle of the road at the end of East Winding Way. 500 feet down the hill was a private residence where Sullivan had telephoned us, the only building in the immediate vicinity. A few yards beyond the point where East Winding Way ended, back in a clump of tall grass, we found the body of 22-year-old Judy Sullivan. We notified the crime lab, Chief Thad Brown and the coroner. Despite the severe emotional shock, Mr. Sullivan told us the story. He said Judy was all right. I believed him. I wanted her back. Judy. I tricked the officer, the one watching me. Kiefer said to come alone. No police. Did you see his car, Mr. Sullivan? I wanted her back. I wanted Judy back. I did as he said. I drove out here at 6 o'clock. I waited. I put the money on the front seat, like he said. Did he get the money, sir? Then I got out. I left the parking lights on. I stood up there by the end of the road, and I waited. And then he drove up. He took the money. And then he came up to me. He had a gun. I wanted Judy back. He had a gun. Did you see his car? He said she was up there. Beyond the road, she was tied to a tree, he said. I wanted her back. Now look, Mr. Sullivan, did you see his car? I went to look for Judy. He drove away. She wasn't there by the tree. I couldn't find her. No, way back. I saw the bundle. On the way. Yes, sir. 
Oh, Lord. Let me find him. Oh, Lord, let me kill him. Before he collapsed completely, we showed the dead girl's father a picture of Donald Kiefer, and he identified him definitely. The information was immediately relayed back to Central Division and rebroadcast over our entire radio system. Teletypes were dispatched to sheriff's offices and communications sent to law enforcement agencies throughout the country. 9.52 p.m. The house-to-house search was intensified. The dragnet operation in which we hoped to trap the killer was drawing slowly inward. A few minutes before midnight, Ben and I drove back downtown to the crime lab to check with Lieutenant Lee Jones. Hi, fellas. Come on back. Anything yet, Lee? Just checking over these towels here. Found them wrapped around the girl's body inside the papers. Funny thing about them. What's that? All yesterday's papers. Every story about the girl's disappearance has been clipped out. Uh-huh. How about the towels? Any laundry marks at all, Lee? Nothing so far, Joe. Every one of them clipped off. Mog post the body yet? You're doing it now. <laughs> Nasty one. Yeah, sure is. Any footprints or tire marks out where they found the body? No, uh-huh, lots of them. Got two of the men checking them now. One thing. What is it, Lee? I don't know. Under the seam here, this towel. Wait a minute. Give me that pair of snippers, will you, Joe? Yeah. Here you go. Thanks. Press back under the seam here. There. That's one tag he missed. Yeah? Can you read the marking? Greenway Apartments, Los Angeles. 12.34 a.m. We located the Greenway Apartments in the East Wilshire District, and we checked with the manager. He identified Kiefer's mugshot, but he said he hadn't been home to the apartment since the day before. We called the crime lab, and we went up to check the suspect's apartment. One look was enough. Lieutenant Lee Jones found specimens of the Sullivan girl's blood in the wash basin and the bathtub drains. In an adjoining garage, we found the car which Kiefer had used, a blue sedan, Nebraska plates, 6X-ray 419. A cancellation of the warrant order for the car was issued and a stakeout placed at the apartment and in the garage in case Kiefer decided to return. All that night and into the next day, the citywide dragnet went on. There was no sign of the killer. At ten minutes past two that afternoon, the first piece of ransom money showed up. It was at a used car lot on the corner of Beverly and Naylor Streets. Two hours later, another piece of the money turned up at a busy downtown department store. In both cases, the man who passed the stolen money was finally identified as Donald Kiefer. Details were strengthened in both areas where the money appeared. The search went on, 6.42 p.m. Ben and I got a call to meet Chief Thad Brown at the Hollywood Division Station. Tommy Bryan from Central Homicide was with him. This is the way it stacks up now. This pin map over here, this is where we're concentrating the search. This area here. How about the lead we had on him downtown? Didn't it work out? No, the last 20 minutes we picked up three possible leads on the man out in this neighborhood here. East of Vine, south of Franklin, west of La Brea, north of Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. More ransom money show up? You got it there, Brian. Read it off. Yeah. Uh, 5.35, Sunset in Highland. Newsboy thought he saw Kiefer crossing the street. 20 minutes later, a sales girl in the dime store up on Hollywood Boulevard thought she saw him. Uh, ten minutes after that, he was reported seen near the intersection of Hollywood Boulevard and Las Palmas. Uh-huh. You figure the reports are reliable? Yeah, they were all checked out. Didn't put too much faith in them until a few minutes ago. How's that? Five-dollar bill was passed at a cigar store, Hollywood Boulevard and Hawthorne, ransom money. We've already doubled the number of men and cars in the area. Men stationed at every intersection to keep an eye on pedestrian traffic. We're covering everything. Streets, stores, covering the whole neighborhood. Uh-huh. I'll get it. 
Homicide, Brian. Yeah, just a minute. You, Chief. Oh. That, Brian? Yeah. Uh-huh. Where? Uh-huh. When was that? No, stay there. We'll be right there. Goodbye. Another piece of ransom money. Where did it turn up? A theater on Hollywood Boulevard between Fairview and Hawthorne. Who passed the money? They think it was Kiefer? They're positive. They say he's in the theater right now. The information on Kiefer was phoned into communications immediately, and within a few minutes, men and cars converged on the neighborhood. The one-half-mile area around the theater was completely blockaded. Every exit and entrance to the theater was covered. 7.23 p.m., Ben and I, along with Chief Thad Brown and Tom Bryan, met in the theater manager's office. Brown outlined our plan of operation. At 7.32 p.m., a detail of 14 men walked down the side aisles on the main floor of the theater and took up their posts on either side of the orchestra pit. The picture was stopped and every light in the theater was turned on. Chief Brown, Brian Gomez, Thaxter, Ben, and myself went down the aisle and up onto the stage. Chief Brown made the announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hold it quiet for a minute, please. We're sorry to interrupt the picture, but this is a very important matter. We're police officers. Maybe you've read about it in the paper. A girl by the name of Judy Sullivan was abducted and murdered the day before yesterday. We think we've traced the man who murdered her to this theater. We believe he's in this theater now. We're going to search the theater row by row, and we'd like to ask your cooperation. There's no need to be panicky or afraid. Those who wish to leave now may do so. We are the main entrance. Each one of you will be checked as you go out the door. For the benefit of the man we're looking for, don't try to escape. Every exit is covered. The entire area is blockaded. Don't place any more lives in jeopardy. All right, now... Hey! Hey, right there! There it goes! There! Outside exit! Come on, Ben. Backstage, Joe. We can make it from here. All right, come on. Through here. Down here. Right with you. In here. Come on, over here. Air conditioning unit for the theater. Yeah. I don't see him, do you? You can't get out. There's just two exits. We've got them both covered. Let's take him. Yeah. All right. Okay, you got my gun. I didn't mean to shoot at you. You forced me to... Put the cuffs on him, Ben. Yeah, right. Get your hands off of me. Hold All right, Keeper. Got the same for you, too. All right, now hold it. All right, Ben, you all right? Yeah. All right, try the cuffs on him now, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. Got him, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's a rough one. Hey, it's starting to rain again. It's really pouring out there. Yeah? Guess you better get him out the car, huh? What's the hurry? How do you mean... Why spoil a good rain? The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 19th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. 
Friends, this Sunday evening, December 16th, Fatima brings you a television preview of Dragnet on Sound Off Time on NBC. Check your papers for the time. Now, it's an actual case history filmed right on the spot, right at the City Hall, downtown Los Angeles. Starting in January, Dragnet will be seen regularly on television, in addition to Dragnet Radio. Now, remember, Fatima is making all this possible and making it possible for you to give the best this Christmas to everybody who smokes king-size cigarettes. Fatima in the new holiday gift carton. It's the smartest of all Christmas cartons, just as it should be, because Fatima is the best of all king-size cigarettes. Give Fatima. Donald Alfred Kiefer was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree, and on the recommendation of the jury, he received the death penalty. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Barton Yarborough as Sergeant Ben Romero. Also heard were Whit Connor and Vic Perrin. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king-size cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Counter Spy fights international intrigue next on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.